Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey, everybody, I want to welcome you. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. This is Talk Radio to Thrive By. Thank you all for tuning us in, turning us on. And also, thank you so much for the questions that you've sent us for my very special guest uh, colleague today, Greg Braden. Greg Braden is, for, for me, someone that I've known since the 10 years we've been doing this show. He's one of the first people that said yes to coming on to this show that used to be called Cross Busting Your Way to an Awesome Life. I've got to I've gotten to talk to him about the God code, the Isaiah effect, the divine matrix, fractal time uh, and much more. Uh, last but not least, we did get to talk about deep truth today. Uh, I get to talk with him about his amazing, amazing new book. And this is probably one of the most important messages of our time. The turning point, creating resilience in a time of extremes. I'm going to say that again, the turning point, creating resilience in a time of extremes. Now, what does this come to mean for me personally? Well, you've heard me share a lot about my story uh, and how things have gone for me over my lifetime, whether it was losing my mother to suicide at age seven, homeless at 17, job loss that devastated me, very close to retirement, or a what they call a chronic illness. It doesn't really matter about what I look at for for times today about those things. What does matter that when I picked up Greg's book and I began to read it, that I at least get an inkling of understanding of what's possible in this lifetime. But the takeaway for me, as you'll hear us talk about today, is that this isn't just an individual invitation. It's an invitation for all of us to come together to make a difference and to enter the world of what's possible. So I get to talk to this amazing individual, this best-selling author, geologist, internationally renowned, a pioneer in bridging science and indigenous knowledge to create this amazing world of solutions we, for the times we live in today. Whether you've seen him live, whether you've heard him on radio, television, whether you've joined him, venture out into the unknown. You know that one of the things that happens when Greg Braden is on the show or any show is that you are going to get the real deal. Greg, welcome. It's so great to have you here. Well, Dr. Pat, it is so good to hear your voice. I'm absolutely thrilled to be with you and with our listeners today. And I I'm, I just listened to the most uh, honoring, awesome, and mm. beautiful description of of my new book. I couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> and I know that you and I have known one another for a long time. Yeah. I didn't realize it's been, it's been 10 years. You know, we have known and worked together longer than some people are, are able to stay married together. You know that? That has been so. the truth for me. I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for inviting me back to the program. And uh, I know from our our past experience, uh, whenever yeah. we are together on these programs, our time goes by mm-hmm. very, very quickly. So I'm going to follow your lead today, and uh, we'll make the best use of our time. And oh, Sure. And, uh, I, I want to start out because perfect. this is what you're known for. This is what I love about your books. I, I, I have to really think about the beginning of every book, and I want to start out with the beginning of this with a quote you have in the beginning of the book. 
You say we are drowning in information while starving for wisdom. I actually was crying when I read this earlier today. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see if I can get the words out here. We are drowning in information while starving for wisdom. The world henceforth, henceforth will be run by synthesizers, people able to put together the right information at the right time, think critically about it, and make important choices wisely. And that's E.O. Wilson. And that was, that's how you start the book. And I wanted to ask you about that, you know, in kicking this off to talk about extreme times. You know, sure. how do we well, even make sense of the level of drowning that's happening right now in the world in terms of how much information that is being thrown our ways? Uh, it's a beautiful place to begin, Dr. Pat. And I, I chose that as the uh, not only the, the beginning of this book, but in my 2014 live events, we uh, I'm about 48 hours back from Copenhagen, uh, Denmark, and we uh, kicked off all of our European programs with, with that quote. And the reason is because that's precisely where we all are in our lives today. We are drowning in information, starving for wisdom. And what E.O. Wilson says so beautifully, uh, in essence, is that it's no longer enough to be an expert in a single topic. We all are being asked to know a lot uh, about a lot of things, and then to be able to to weave all of those things together into something meaningful in our lives and apply what we claim we have learned uh, to the conditions of our world, and, and that is where the rest of the book comes in. It, it is a fact that we are living at a time, the experts are now calling, a time of extremes. Now, for some people, this is interesting, uh, yeah. and even in the Euro European audiences, when they hear that, they think of bad things. And while we all know there are some, some bad things happening in the world, there are also a lot of good things yeah. happening. So, so the extremes don't have to be bad things or even good things for that matter, Dr. Pat. They're big things, yeah. big changes in the world that can only mean one thing, and that is big changes in our lives. So we're, it's a fact that we are uh, living a time uh, that we haven't really been prepared to deal with. The world is changing faster than we've been prepared to accept. It's changing in ways that we're unfamiliar with, in ways that we've never seen. And we don't have any really good models or blueprints to tell us how to deal with this change. And, and one thing we know is absolutely certain is that we've got to think and live differently now than we have in the past. And one of the things that's so fascinating to me, uh, I've studied, uh, I'm a student of indigenous cultures, both present and past. And while it's not unusual to see cultures and societies and even civilization respond to change, it generally happens over a longer period of time. So in other words, maybe the climate will begin to shift during the time of one generation, and then the next generation is where the, the changes really kick in and people begin to do, do things differently. What's so different about us, Dr. Pat, is that we are the product uh, of drowning in this information. There's so much new data, new technology, new ways of living that have occurred within our lifetimes. So we have been steeped in a way of thinking, a way of living, and a way of mastery. We believe that we mastered the world pretty well uh, to, to a certain extent, and then something changed. Mm -hmm. And for many people, and I see this all over the world, for many people, there's a sense that the rug was pulled out from under them. And, 
in uh, in Western Europe, they say they're waiting for the other shoe to drop or the other the other foot to fall. They yeah. say the the world changed for some people it was nine eleven for some people it was the economic collapse in eight. But the the point here is that the world has changed, and the same generation that mastered the ways of thinking and living, the technology, the ways of creating a living, of uh, finances, income, health, we now are being asked to rethink uh, almost everything that we have been led to believe was true in our lives and do it within the same lifetime where we mastered another way of living. And change uh, is tough for people. And so that's a lot of what, what this time of extremes is, is all about. Well, one of the things that I love about this, and, you know, for us, I want to talk about this when we come back for a break, is I was reading the book, and I love your books. I mean, I, I go through and I love the blend that you put in here of uh, question asking for us and, and just scientific information, information that many people would think about, we'd look at and we'd say, oh, my gosh, is that really true? And here's what I know about the books you write. You go through extraordinary lengths to make sure that what you put in here has been reviewed by others. Um, And then, you know, for someone like me, I get to read it. And when I look at, you know, some of the graphics you have on ice temperatures in here, I'm like, oh, my goodness, we had no idea. But when we come back, I'd love to talk with you, Greg, about this comment that I'm about to make. You know, extreme is the new normal. Extreme is the new normal. Let's take a short break for those of you out there just tuning in. The Turning Point, Creating Resilience in a Time of Extremes. Greg Braden, my very special guest joining me here today. Uh, We're going to let you know how you can get your own copy of the book. There's so much in here to talk with him about. The question mark is, are we all ready to open up our minds, open up our hearts, and learn how to make the choices in life that will make a positive, true difference? Stay tuned. We'll be right back with the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Welcome back. I am so thrilled. My friend, my colleague, my very special guest, best-selling author, amazing individual, Greg Braden is joining me here today. I have, uh, I have read his book, The Turning Point, Creating Resilience in a Time of Extremes. And Greg, before the break, I, I made a statement because when I was done, and you know, there's some things in here that we're going to talk about, and we have some questions that have come in from people. Um, I, I, I shut the book and I said, wait a minute, extreme is the new normal. Now, I'd love to hear uh, your thoughts on that. Am I a little bit over the top or did I misunderstand some things? But growing up for, for somebody of, of my generation and even generations that have come after, there was a set of norms and those norms aren't even applicable anymore. Well, precisely. And that, that's the whole point of, uh, of the book. The, the, the thesis for this book is that we are living a time of extremes. The extremes have led to a new normal, but no one has told us that. It has never been acknowledged widely in the mainstream uh, media or in mainstream classrooms or textbooks, and that the key is being able to adapt to the new normal, and that's where the resilience comes in. So that's, that's where we're going with this, uh, this conversation. Uh, it is a fact that the, the new normal, there is a new normal. The media, whether it's you know CNN world or BBC world or whatever it is, it's never been acknowledged broadly in the mainstream. And so much of our population, is their lives are so very full because we are inundated with so much information and 
they're they're trying to make ends meet uh, with a, a changing economy that we've never seen before. Uh, that they rely on the news, and if the news doesn't identify something as as occurring, and for many people it simply hasn't occurred, that is where we are with this new normal. It it is a fact uh, that the the world is changing in ways that we've never seen, and in the new normal, uh, climate change is a big part of that. The uh, the global economy is a big part of that. The the growing gap between wealth and poverty on a global level is a big part of that. The peak oil scenario that we are now going through, it's unfolding differently than had been expected, and we're living it right now. Each of these individually could be a program unto itself, Dr. Pat. Obviously, Mm -hmm. collectively, they all contribute to back up the statement that I made. We are living a time of extremes. Uh, And for me, when we begin talking about these things, I think it's good to go to the source to see what these extremes are really all about. So I I have no political agenda, and I have nothing to gain uh, by by slanting what I share one way or another. I, uh, I don't have any academic credibility that I'm trying to defend. My, actually, my credibility went right out the window as a scientist when I began speaking about spirituality. There, there went the credibility yeah. right there. <laughs> yeah, no, well... I have, I have, yeah, no, no court, but I'm not linked to a beholden to a corporation. So... So I have the freedom to share with our global family the facts uh, as I understand them, as I know them today. And as a geologist, I have to tell you, when it comes to, to climate change, my first inclination is to allow Mother Earth to share her story with us. Let's see what the Earth has to say about what's happened in the past, where we are today, and how does, does that jive with what we're being told in the mainstream. So, you know, we can, we can cover a, a lot of, of topics, and I'm going to uh, invite you to invite me into where those are. Well, I have a question but, that came in, because sure, I think, you sure. know, I, we, we've, got some, we've got some amazing people that tune in and listen to, to, to the show. Uh, and a couple questions come in, but, but this is, I think this is a good question that I think that is just perfectly, you know, suited towards what we're doing. And, you know, the question came in, you know, hi, Dr. Pat, would you please ask Greg a question about resilience and mm-hmm. and how how we can redefine resilience to accommodate and adapt, a, 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 excuse me, accommodate and adjust ourselves to a, a world that is changing faster than we can biologically keep up. Wow. Well, uh, a couple of things. First of all, um, resilience is where we're going to go. Before we get to that point, uh, I I, want to make very, very clear that I've substantiated what I've said about why we're living a new normal. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we can can talk about that resilience. But resilience is is the key to what we're doing here. What I'm going to say, this is so powerful Mm -hmm. uh, and it's so subtle. Uh, For many people, Dr. Pat, there's a sense that the world was chugging along pretty well, you know, had ups and downs, things, things were working pretty well until something happened. And as I mentioned, for some people, that for them is 9-11. For other people, it was the economic collapse of, uh, of 08 or, or something in between. But here's why this is important. The, the sense they have and what the media is saying to us is that we are, are living this brief period of an anomaly and Mm -hmm. people are waiting for things to get back to normal. So 
they have put their lives on hold in mm-hmm. many respects. They're waiting for the economy to get back to normal. They're right. waiting for the climate to get back to normal. They're waiting for this this gap between wealth and poverty to get back to normal. And the, the whole point of the first portion of the book is through peer-reviewed science. So, and for our listeners that may not be familiar with this, there's a difference between a scientific article that you can see in popular magazines and peer-reviewed science. Peer-reviewed science is where a scientist publishes their research. It circulates often for years, usually uh, six to eight years, um, allowing other scientists to poke holes in, in the theory or to show where, uh, where they're absolutely right on to refine and modify any errors and mistakes, and when it is published, it is accepted as fact. So peer-reviewed science is now telling us, for example, that climate change uh, is a fact, uh, that it is here for our lifetimes and for our children's lifetimes, uh, that it's good to to modify our lifestyles. From my opinion, we should have been on off oil. We should have been off fossil fuels in the 20th century, in my opinion. We could have been. it's good that we modify our lifestyles. We can change light bulbs, drive smaller cars, but the data strongly suggests that no matter how much that we do, the climate change that we're seeing is with us. For our lifetimes, for our children's lifetimes, it makes sense to adapt to the climate change while we're reducing the greenhouse emissions. The global economy. We have never seen uh, an economy where the global debt is greater than what the world produces. We called it the GDP. Uh, gross domestic product. It, we've seen nations go bankrupt and another nation bails them out. What happens when a planet owes more money than they're able to produce? We've never seen this before, and it's affecting all of our economies. It's affecting industry. It's affecting jobs, and it trickles down into our communities, the, the, the closing of, of mom-and-pop businesses, people losing their, their jobs. We've never seen this before. Yeah. So these are the kinds of extremes uh, that are now the new normal. And the Congressional Budget Office, by the way, is telling us that the economy we have right now uh, is with us through at least the year 2023, at least through 2023. So when we hear people talking about going back to the climate of 10 years ago if we, if we do certain things or going back to the economy of 10 years ago if we do certain things. We cannot because those places no longer exist. Mm-hmm. The, the economy of 10 years ago no longer exist with the, the, the level of, of global debt that's doubling every 10 years. So the question is, if these are, are factual, and my question, when I wrote this book, the, I, I've got it written on a card right in the altar, right in my office, Dr. Pat. Mm-hmm. The question is this, how can we deal with the extremes if we're not honest about the extremes? If we're not right. honest with ourselves. Mm-hmm. How can we possibly adapt and become resilient to something we haven't even acknowledged? So this is why I think the facts are, are very important. In each of these, we could do an entire program on climate change. We could do an entire program on, on the global economy. And, right. and I just want to say something quickly here. Sure. Many sure. people in our audiences, when they hear the word economy, their eyes glaze over <laughs> because they, they think it's about money and it's about very boring kinds of uh, you know trade balances and things like that. An economy may be about money. It doesn't have to be. There are many economies that use no money. Economies are about us. It's about people. It's about our global family and how we share the vital resources that we need every day for our lives, how we share medicine, how we share food, how we share energy, how we share 
technology. Money can be a part of it, but it's about much more than that. And when people really, really get that, Dr. Pat, all of a sudden their eyes light up. And they say, wow, this is important stuff. Yeah. And, and it, it is. So, so all that important stuff says that the extremes that we're seeing have led to the new normal. And now we have to find a way to adapt to that normal while we're doing everything we can to find sustainable ways of, of making things better rather than denying these things are happening. So what does that mean? I mean, when it comes to climate change, simple things. Stop building commercial businesses and homes and schools in places that you know are going to flood because the climate changed every year. Stop putting power lines on top of telephone poles in places where they're going to get blown down and 800,000 people are going to be without power for 90 days. Bury them under the ground. Give people jobs. You know, to bury them under. I mean, these are just very obvious things that that makes sense when we begin to acknowledge the fact of, of where we are right now. You know so, what? You know, here's really kind of the key to this because you said you said a couple of things, Greg, that are really important. You know, whether you roll your eyes over economy or whether whether you're rolling your eyes over whether you're the one to make the change. Here's a little short story I want to talk about, and we can talk about it more when we come back. I went out and you know how you put, you know, sometimes at night, you know, you, you need lights to walk down your steps and so forth, right? Sure. I, I knew something has changed. And this is what you talk about in the book. You say no shortage of solutions. See, this is how I know this girl from the Bronx, something has changed within me. Maybe I've become an adaptogen, so to speak, because I don't have electricity lighting up the walkway now. I have these really cool little solar generated little things that they're small. They're about six inches, right? You can put them on your fence, right? If you got a fence or whatever, the sun hits them and they light up your pathway brighter than you can imagine. Now, if something like that can become the new normal, then what you're saying in this book, about the turning point, about intentional versus spontaneous, about how we can all participate, then truly what I think you're saying is we must become the solution. We must become the adaptogen. We're going to take a short, great break, Greg. When we come back, we'll talk about the turning point, our involvement, the fact that one of the most incredible chapters I think I have read in a long time comes right from this book. Let's take a short break. We'll be right back with my very special guest, Greg Braden, The Turning Point, Creating Resilience in a Time of Extremes. If you want to find out more about Greg, I'm going to make it so super easy for everybody to do that. All you need to do is go to his website, Greg, G-R-E-G-G, Braden, B-R-A-D-E-N.com. You'll see a copy of his book right there. You'll see lots of videos uh, that he's put together personal, powerful messages, his calendar of events, where he's going to be, what he's going to be doing, and a gazillion ways for you to chime in on the conversation. Let's take a short break. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. I want to welcome you back to the Dr. Pat Show. This is Talk Radio to Thrive By. Wow. Oh, my goodness. I may have to skip the next break because I, I have so much to talk with Greg about. And I know you guys have a couple of questions here. Um, for those of you out there that that want to get caught up on current events and future possibilities, current events, future possibilities, 
please get yourself a copy of The Turning Point, Creating Resilience in a Time of Extremes. And what I love about this book, Greg, is that as usual, you take us on this beautiful journey. I mean, I, I, re- I wish I could learn how to write like you. You take us on this beautiful journey of stories and information and questions and invitations. And, and then all of a sudden you get to a point in the book where we have to kind of make a decision. And you ask, how do we know when it's time for a change? Now, thank you for joining me here today. I know there's a lot to talk about. Uh, let's talk about what is the best understanding that we can have right now in the moment for what the call to action is. Well, I, what I'd like to do is yeah. I'd like to, to share a brief story just to kind of Great. illustrate in, in real life terms. We're talking, we're covering a lot of ground. For some people, it's familiar. For some, they've yeah. never heard of this because they're watching mainstream media where there is a tremendous, I'll say, a, a re- reluctance and in many cases a resistance to share these facts. Mm-hmm. But let me, I'll just bring it right down to everyday life. Uh, my wife and I live in a very rural area in northern New Mexico um, in the mountains. And last fall, we were going for a drive uh, just to – it was so beautiful. Uh, the trees snow-capped on the mountains. We went up through some of the little mining towns in uh, northern New Mexico, southern Colorado. We stopped at a convenience store for gas. And I asked the woman behind the, the register, the cash register, uh, how how things were in their community, you know, how was their economy, how was life, and what she told me, uh, and I'll, I'll just condense this whole story. She said that that the the largest employer in their community was a mine uh, that employed 600 people from their community, and I said, well, you know, how big is your community? And she said, 1,800 people. Wow. So about a third of the community was in these mines, and she said, when the mines are open, life is good. Uh, you know, people feel secure. They're making good money. They've got insurance. And she said, when the mines close, which they do temporarily because of economic conditions, when the mines close, she said, life is hell. And she said, people suddenly become very frightened. She said, they put their lives on hold. This is why I'm sharing the story. She said, they put their lives on hold, waiting for things to get back to normal. She said, they won't have new babies. They won't enlarge, you know, uh, have bigger families. They won't add on or, or buy new homes. They won't buy new vehicles. They they won't have the confidence to go out and explore new ways of uh, of expressing themselves and, and making a living because of the insecurities. They're waiting for things to get back to normal. And I said, well, how long have those mines been closed? You know, a third of your community now is, is on hold. How long have those mines been closed? She said, nine years. Wow. And I went back, I got in the truck, and I said to my wife, I said, I think I've just witnessed in this little community a microcosm for what we've been seeing all over the world. We've, we've been trying to put our finger on exactly what it is. People put their lives on hold, waiting for things to get back to normal, and the reality is we've moved into a new normal. So this, the suffering, Dr. Pat, comes from them clinging to an idea of a world and a way of life that no longer exists, that they they haven't been informed in a way that is credible to them. So they believe if they wait long enough, things are going to go back to what's familiar to them. And the bottom line from this part of our conversation is that we as a society, as communities, uh, have never been given the opportunity to mourn the passing of a way of living and a way of life that we all have become accustomed to 
And I'm not saying that's right, wrong, good, or bad. I'm mm-hmm. saying that things have changed. Things that we were used to seeing are no longer there. We miss them, and it's not acknowledged publicly. And the question is, how can we embrace all and thrive? We don't want to just survive. We, we want to thrive. How can we do that, thrive in the new opportunities, if our our emotions, if our hearts and our minds are filled with the expectation of waiting for the old to return? And and I think it's a, it's a powerful question that we all must ask ourselves. And it doesn't have to be a big ceremony or anything like that, but it's okay to write down on a piece of paper, these are the things that used to be in my life. They're not here anymore. I miss them. And that's where the morning begins. And my wife and I have done this. We we live in, uh, as I said, a rural community mm-hmm. in northern New Mexico. All right? On the way to the airport, um, I used to drive through Santa Fe, and I missed the mom-and-pop shops. Yeah. used to fix my, fix my boots for me, and I missed the Borders bookstore that I needed to use right. my books inside. We were talking the other night. My wife said something really profound. She said she misses feeling that she has the time to do all the things that she wanted to do in the day. And that has changed, I think, for all of us uh, in ways that we're not always expressing. But it's important. I'm just acknowledging this is part of the new normal. And to embrace the good, beautiful, thriving, sustainable things that are now available to us, uh, we've got to make room for them in our lives. And mourning what has been is where that begins. You know, I love that you brought this up. I'm, I'm interviewing a couple of people for the, you know, this book I'm writing. And I asked a similar question. And, and one of the gentlemen said to you, I, I hope I get this right, Greg. I'm going to give it a shot. Said exactly what you're saying. Said, I miss the vision of my life that I used to have. I miss the vision of my life that I used to have. And I didn't know how to wrap my mind around that statement. It took me a minute. And, and, and he said it to me in tears. So I think that's what you're talking about. We have not really set aside to mourn. Well, we haven't because we've never been really informed that there's a need for the mourning, that, that the world of the past no longer exists. And it's so interesting to hear, uh, you know, political campaigns, mm. to hear people in positions of power and authority or, or who hope to be in positions of a power power and authority, promising to go back to a world that no longer exists. It's impossible <laughs> to go back to that world. So, right. so the good news, after we say that, I'm going to flip right. to the good news. Yeah. The good news is we already have all the solutions, right. all of the, the big problems, the, the technological solutions. We've got all the food to feed every mouth of every child, every man, every woman on the face of the earth. The lack of food is not the problem right now. We've got the technology to bring electricity into every home of Every family on the face of the earth that wants it, we can do it with zero greenhouse gases in a way that is affordable, economical, sustainable. We know how to bridge the gap between wealth and poverty. And people say to me, all, we know how, how to have sustainable communities. There is a community in northern Arizona, 5,000 people. They produce all of their own food and eat only what they produce. They generate all their own electricity. And everyone is 100% employment rate because everyone is employed sustaining the systems that produce the food and the power, and it works really, really well. And so people say to me, if these solutions exist, where are they? That's the first they say, how come we don't know about them? Where, where are these? And that brings us to the crisis, an even greater crisis, the crisis in thinking. 
Dr. Pat, that has to change before we can embrace and thrive in the new normal. We've got to think and live our lives differently. This is where the the keys uh, and the power of resilience really begin to make sense. It's always interesting, but now within this context, it's vital. And so I wanted to say that to tie it together as we yeah. leave, leave What is it going to take for us, Greg? What is it going to take for us to make that leap of thought? Because, you know, I, 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 have, I was so touched by reading, uh, you know, some of the things you wrote in here. You talked about two different kinds of turning points. And I've thought to myself, and I, I do a show that's apolitical, meaning it's not political. I talk about a show that's values about things that people want to hear. But someone came on the show the other day and said, oh, Good news. You know, the the healthcare that nobody wanted now has flipped and the, and people want the healthcare. And I thought to myself, okay, I'm really not up on current events, but it's a change in thinking or a change in perspective and a change in point of view. And I'm just curious from your point of view what it's going to take uh short of a major catastrophe for us to really get that it's now, the time is now. Sure. Well, the, there are many answers. Okay. <laughs> uh, there are many answers to that question. Let's define a, a turning point, first yeah. of all, is, yep. is it, nature gives us a, a way to avoid the most frightening situations in mm. our lives. We've all heard of tipping points. It's yep. a very common term now, mm-hmm. usually in, in a frightening sense, a tipping point of when the greenhouse gases exceed a certain level and the climate is damaged forever, or when the debt of the world exceeds and the economies collapse, whatever. Those are frightening tipping points of no return. What we rarely hear, Dr. Pat, is that before you ever reach any of those tipping points of no return, you must pass through at least one and generally multiple turning points Mm. that allow us to move away from those very frightening tipping points. A turning point is nature's way of adapting to change. We all see them. Uh, the question is, can, can we embrace them? Some turning points, a couple of, of different kinds. A, a yeah. turning point may be what you just suggested. It could be a paradigm-altering event, an experience that changes our lives. And in, in individuals, uh, friends, for example, I know people that choose to live a certain way and they continue to live that way, although it doesn't support their health, until they're threatened with losing their lives. Then they say, oh, that was a wake-up call, and that's the turning point, and all of a sudden they begin to eat differently, exercise differently, think and live differently, and, and they want everybody else to do the same. That's, that's one example of a turning point. Another one is a discovery or a revelation of information that gives us the reason to think and live differently. So one's an experience that we actually have, and, and the other one is the knowledge that can help us before we have that frightening experience. Um, My sense is, I mean, when we look at at the world and we look at our own backyard, we can no longer separate the world out there. And when I said my arms are now flying away from me in a big jet, the world out there and and in our own living room and in our community, we cannot separate those any longer. You can't separate the climate change halfway around the world from from. The, the price of the food that you're seeing on your dinner table, because as the climate change changes and water becomes less available and, and crops don't grow the way that we're accustomed to, it affects the, the price of the food. You can't, you can't separate the economy from Europe, in Europe or China, from what's happening here in, with our IRA and our 401k. They're so interconnected. So 
in truth, the reality is we could change consciously because we recognize that we're in a time of extremes. We could do that. And we could move to green, clean, sustainable ways of, of thinking and living. We could do that in a heartbeat. However, it's possible. Is it likely? Until we learn, and, and when I say we, it's not so much people on this call, because I know for the most part we're talking to the choir here, but it's with, when leaders of nations, uh, CEOs of corporations, and people in positions of power and authority, when, when we learn to cooperate, the level of cooperation it takes to do something like that is immense. And, and we're on the path. I'm encouraged by what I'm seeing, but the reality is, could we change in a heartbeat? The answer is yes. Is it likely within the near term? Unless that level of cooperation shows up, I don't think so. Mm -hmm. So the next scenario is that as the unsustainable systems co buckle or collapse yep. one by one, mm -hmm. then we will apply what we know to those systems. And that is what I'm seeing happening right now is, is once it, because there's a reluctance to see the breakdown in one system or another, the shift in climate change or wealth and poverty or, or the global economy, we're seeing them as isolated events. If you fix this, it's okay, rather than as being symptoms of something much larger. That is, is where the reluctance has come in. So what I think we're going to see in reality, uh, and we're witnessing it right now, as systems no longer work, that particular system is where we're applying the new solutions. Mm -hmm. And uh, energy is one of the first places. I was trained as a geologist, so I, I feel a little closer and understand the system better. The time of oil, most people haven't really embraced this yet, but oil, uh, we're moving away from oil on a global basis very, very quickly, and most people don't know that. Uh, we're moving toward what is called LNG, liquefied natural gas. Mm -hmm. Is it a perfect, perfect solution? No, it's not perfect. It's a stepping stone. It's it's 50% cleaner. Uh, it's much less expensive. It's going to to be the bridge uh, to to make life more affordable and a better quality of life for for many people. Could we could we on this day go to what's called free energy? Yes, we could. Is it likely to happen? Uh, unless something changes, I'm not seeing that likelihood right now. So I deal with reality, Dr. Pat, and the reality yeah. is. That this is this is one of the places where we're seeing this uh, compartmentalized change. It's going to be in in this energy equation. But, but what's happening? It's so interesting. Is it's requiring nations to work together and cooperate to bring this new form of energy uh, to market much faster than they they have in the past. So it is actually being a catalyst for the cooperation. And uh, if this isn't like some far fetched you know, I did down the road, the United States began exporting uh, LNG, liquefied natural gas, at the end of 2014 and, and into 2015. And uh, and the oil-producing countries uh, of the world in the Middle East are really nervous about this because it changes their role in the equation. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, so that's one, one example. It's uh, We could change in a heartbeat and go to all the things we know are true, uh, is it possible? Yes. And mm -hmm. the more likely scenario is that it will be a phased, step-by-step -step bridging one way of thinking and living to the next, to the next, to the next. And it seems it's an even more fundamental mm -hmm. uh, issue here, Dr. Pat, and that, that's about humans and the way we learn. And it seems that we learn by experiencing what we don't want 
right. before, before we know we don't want it, rather than setting our sights and goals and saying, this is what we do want, this is what we choose, and living this way, it seems like we, we had to experience global war before we said we don't want it. We had to experience multiple holocausts before we said it's no longer tolerable, we're not, we're not going to accept that. We've had to experience uh, industry uh, destroying so much of, uh, of the vital ecology that, that we need for our lives before we said we don't want that anymore. Right. So it, it's interesting, and I, I'm not judging the right, wrong, good, or bad. It's just if that's the way we learn, then, then recognize that. Mm-hmm. And we we learn to adapt to that. You know what, Greg? Here's something I love about this because um, I got to I get to talk to a lot of really cool people. And what I've discovered in reading your book is, you know, you we can no longer hide the atrocities of the world. And and mm-hmm. let me tell you what I mean by that. I, I was talking with someone the other day, and I I commented. <laughs> I commented that, you know, we've come a long way from me burning my bra in 1973 in Atlantic City. And, and one, <laughs> one of the young people said, why, why the hell would you do that? And I thought to myself, hmm, I don't think I ever thought, Greg, if I go back in that time in my life and what we were standing up for, did I ever think that I would live, live to hear somebody say to me, why would you have to do something like that? I mean, for me, what it says is, yeah, maybe it's not been like at the speed of light. But boy, something has happened over time, especially here in these past 10 years, where we can no longer hide that a Pakistani woman was shot twice, once in the head, and lived to stand up to say, I will not go down without a fight. So don't you think that these atrocities that are happening, this crisis you talk about in the book, that some of us and a lot of us can see one atrocity and stand up in a way that we, we've never been able to have before. We, don't, we, we didn't have access to that information. Now we see it, and it's like, oh, my goodness, we get on the bandwagon. So it's almost impossible now for us to be in denial about what's going on in the world, right, at some it, it level. Is, it is, Dr. Pat, and, you know, it's... It, it's impossible that the technology communication is certainly part of that, mm-hmm. and it it uh, it underscores what we've just said here. Mm-hmm. Why should we have to experience the woman right. being treated that way before we say we don't want it? Right. Wouldn't we just assume that that people aren't treated that way? But but that's not the case. I just finished. This is a media mm-hmm. day for me, and I'm yep. doing multiple back to back interviews. Yep. On an earlier interview today, mm-hmm. uh, I was asked a question about young people. Mm-hmm. And one of the differences that I see with young people today uh, and young people of, of generations past, so I want to share this, and then we'll go into the Good. deeper form of, of resilience. Young people today, uh, and I've just returned from a European tour, and so I'm, this isn't just in the United States of America or North America, have a hard time thinking of their lives in terms of the future because the future that they're shown through the media, when the media does portray it, it, it looks pretty bleak. You know, they're looking at, uh, at climate change and being told that the world won't be inhabitable unless something changes or that, that they will be burdened with so much debt from our generation that mm. they're going to be, you know, they're going to be paying for it, you know, for the rest of their lives. So when they think of their lives, and I asked, um, this came up in, uh, we were talking about body art with uh, a young person yeah. who was in one of our programs. And I said, you know, it looks 
totally awesome right now. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm a I'm fascinated by body art. Yeah, uh, me and too. I see it all, all all different cultures. Mm-hmm. I said, how are you going to feel having that displayed prominently where it is on your body right now when you're 60 years old? Mm-hmm. And the man looked at me. He, he said, I'm not going to be 60. So he said, he said, there's you know he's not thinking right. in those terms. Whereas people in in generations past. You know, they they said when they made a choice at one point in their lives, there was a consciousness of how it could influence other people or influence their lives down the road. And and because of the conditions of the world and the way the world is being portrayed, then a lot of good news is not being shared and the opportunities to thrive. And this is the one generation that can walk away from war as a means to solve our problems, the one generation that can turn around the energy equation of the planet in a way that hasn't happened in 5,000 years, young people aren't really being instilled with the hope and possibility of those values. They're being given really dark, bleak images of, of mm-hmm. tipping points, mm-hmm. and, and that is, is a big difference in terms yeah, of where we are. Right. Yeah, it is. So all, all of this, when we talk about all these things, these are all examples of how it's playing out in our lives. Now, we had a question earlier. What Resilience. Do we do? How, yeah. how, how do we find this resilience? Resilience means different things to different people. Uh, the definition, common definition, and I'm speaking quickly in the interest of time because I, I know I, I want to close this out before sure. we finish our program. <laughs> and you know, Greg, the, you can always come back, right? I, I, I look forward to the opportunity. <laughs> uh, but the, the common definition of resilience is the ability to spring back or to return to a normal functioning after something happens. It's after the fact, getting back to that, that way, that, that normalcy. Uh, and, and it's a good definition that works for some purposes. My question is, is there an expanded form of resilience where we can think and live every day in a way that takes into account the facts, the reality that are at our doorstep so we don't have to spring back. We don't have to work to return to that healthy functioning that we can actually thrive through the changes. And the answer to that question is yes. Uh, Stockholm Resilience Center is doing a lot of work with this. I zeroed in on the book on two forms of resilience, personal and community. Mm -hmm. And there's so much information out there in community resilience, decentralizing the things that you need, where your food comes from and your water and power and economics and all that. Uh, In our time together today, I'd like to really focus on on the personal resilience that you don't see so much of. You okay if if we do it that way? Yes, please. It begins in the heart, Dr. Patton. This is so interesting to me. What the best science of our time has shown us now, I'll invite all of our listeners, you've all seen an EKG, it's now called an ECG, but it's uh, it's the printout of the electrical patterns of a human heartbeat. And, and you see, you know, you, there's a big spike and then a couple little ones and a big spike and a couple little ones. That big spike is called the R wave. And we typically think that the, the space between each R wave is the same because we think of our heartbeat as, as being something very regular. The truth is, that the time, the distance between each of those R waves is not the same. It's, it's different. And it's a good thing that it's different because that's where our resilience comes from. When we're very young in life, exploring this world, and we have to respond quickly and adapt quickly, the distance between those R waves, between each beat, uh, it's different. The time in milliseconds between each beat is, is different. And that is what gives us our high level of resilience so we can respond quickly to a world that's new to us, as we get older, Dr. Pat, we become 
more rigid in our thinking. The, the term is we become set in our ways. We've all heard that term. Right. And it's actually reflected in our heart rate. As we become set in our ways, our heartbeat becomes much more regular and we become more resistant to change. Change becomes harder for us. So that's the relationship. Now, the good news is that we can regain that resilience very, very quickly. Our ancestors, indigenous people, give us the techniques without the science. And the Institute of Heart Math, who I know you've interviewed on your program yeah. before, representatives from there, they have now developed uh, the science-based techniques that parallel what our ancestors were doing, but we don't have to go to a monastery or spend you know, years in a cave or in a jungle in the Yucatan to, to embrace these. And it all comes down to our relationship with, with our heart and very specific things that, that we can do uh, to reestablish and enhance this resilience. So I'm going to stop right there and ask, is what I just said, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. It does make sense because, I mean, there are things that I think that, you know, many of the people listening to the show, I mean, we all can breathe into the things in our lives which have brought us to a place of joy and, and, and peace on the inside and those places where we've been most uncomfortable. And I've learned so much from the discomfort of my life. And at the same time, experience so joy from the in-between breath. And so, you know, for me, I, I love I love the way you talk about that because it's a shift in the conversation on on resilience, Greg. You know, I come up really, in, I come up in yeah, a corporate really. world where everybody talked about resilience so that people could wrap their minds around losing their jobs. This is a different conversation. Well, it is. And, it is and it isn't because mm-hmm. all resilience begins mm-hmm. with us. Yep. And uh, and this is what this is doing is before we can go out and find resilience, create resilience for our family or mm-hmm. for our community, whatever level that means, we've got to find a way to embrace that resilience within our very being. Yes. And this is the key. It's the key to, to healing. It's the key to longevity. Uh, what the science is showing us is that when we shift emotions in our hearts, not what we're thinking in our mind, but when we feel them in, in our hearts, we're actually communicating with over 1,400 biochemical reactions in our bodies. Mm. And I, I think this is the next great frontier in human understanding is the ability to regulate, self-regulate, as mm-hmm. the term is used, self-regulate the emotions in our bodies that literally, this isn't metaphor or figurative, that literally control the chemistry of life. So I don't know what, what could be more important. And, and what I'd like to do, there are so many tools, so yes. many techniques of, of personal resilience uh, in a time that we have and in the media that we have right now over the airwaves, as different as they all are, they all begin with a single step. So there's a conversation that's happening every moment of every day between our heart and our brain. Our heart is actually sending the signals to the brain to tell the brain what chemistry to release into the body. And it's based on the way we feel. So when we feel stressed, uh, which is a product of tremendous change that we feel is out of our control, that's a form of stress. Or anger, or hate, or jealousy, or rage, or frustration, any of those kinds of things, uh, the key is we've got to find a way to shift that experience long enough to interrupt the stress response long enough to allow something else 
to happen, to allow another emotion to begin. So shift the breathing by slowing it down uh, just slightly, maybe five seconds inhale, five seconds exhale, or a, a rate that's comfortable for you. Everybody's lung capacity is a little different. But slow your breathing down, which would not typically happen in a time when you're stressed. It'd be just the opposite. And those two things shift that stress. They interrupt it long enough for you to do something else. And into that period, that time that you have just created for yourself, that you're empowering yourself with, to the best of your ability, you can begin feeling feelings and emotions that are very, very different from perhaps what the situation is showing. So you can breathe in the place of anxiety. You can breathe in and actually say to yourself, say the word, uh, uh, ease or calm or peace. You have just empowered yourself uh, intentionally to shift the physiology of your body in, in a way that's going to be healthier and allow you to deal better with the situation. As you create that space, as you breathe in, and as you either think to yourself or maybe even, you know, quietly say, say the words to yourself out loud, uh, breathe in that, that breath and, and say the word ease, say the word peace, say the word calm, uh, you would be amazed in just, I mean, not even 60 seconds, how quickly this begins to change. And what the studies show is that when we do this, it changes the blood flow between the heart and the brain changes the cortisol levels in our body, the adrenaline levels, and we actually begin to think better in a way that allows us to be more present for whatever is at our doorstep. So in the, the brief time that we have right now, that is the very first step um, to a whole series of other things that, uh, that can happen. And if people are really interested in, in a lot of this, I mean, you read anecdotally in, in the indigenous traditions, the science has been documented by the Institute of Heart Math, H-E-A-R-T, capital M-A-T-H, all one word. Uh, I just want to be clear, I'm not their employee. Uh, I've known these people uh, in the pioneering research organization in the power of the human heart for over, we just figured out, we've known them another 22 years now. Wow. And, uh, and I believe in their work, and they are leading the frontier in uh, scientific validation to find out what does work and what doesn't. Dr. Patton, the stuff, you know, there's a lot of hokey stuff out there. Yes. And if, if the stuff doesn't work and we're relying on it, it can actually, sometimes it, it can work against us. And we don't want that. So let's find out what works and what doesn't. What does work, let's do it a lot. What doesn't work, let's stop putting our energy into it. And heart math is, is really pioneered. Yeah. They're absolutely great. I mean, yeah, uh, yeah I, we were so honored to be uh, working with them as well and helping so many people. Greg, thank you so much for today. Um, one last question. What's your personal message? What would you love to leave us with today? And thank you so much. My, per I'm going to leave two messages. Can I do that? Please. <laughs> yes. First, I, I want to say to our listeners, I have never been more optimistic about our future, about our nation, about all nations, about our world, and about our lives, and I am right this minute. It's because we now know what doesn't work, that we have the opportunity and the opening to embrace what does. And that leads to the second part of this message. Uh, the better we know ourselves, the better equipped we are to 
to meet whatever it is that life brings to our doorstep. And it all comes back to us. The better we know ourselves, uh, the better we can meet and honor what life is bringing to us. So that's what I'd like to say to our, our people today. Thank you, Greg. Thank you so much. For everybody out there, the book is The Turning Point. Go to gregbraden.com, and it's G-R-E-G-G, braden.com. Thank you so much for this time together, Greg. Thank you, Dr. Pat. You are just tremendous, and I, I'm so excited to look forward to the next time. And there will be a next time. All right, everyone, we'll see you next time on the show. <music> 